0: The reading this morning is 1 Samuel, chapter 14, verses 1 to 23, and you can find it on page 283 in the Red Church Bibles. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armour bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother Ahitab, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sina. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other to to the south towards Geber. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah in Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God At that time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved beyond to Beth-haven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray.
1: Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you are the everlasting God, that you do not faint, that you don't grow weary, and that nothing can hinder you from saving. Thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we ended on a cliffhanger, didn't we? There's been a huge Philistine invasion, and King Saul has failed to stop it. The king's most important jobs are to obey God and to protect his people, and he's messed them both right up. It's a bit like, well, do you remember Harry Kane at the World Cup quarterfinal? Kane's penalty landed on the moon, NASA confirms. And so Samuel's left. Saul in disgust. He's told Saul that God has rejected him and chosen someone else to be king instead. Saul's army has leaked away in front of him and now he's only got 600 men left to take on an army that's described as being as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And to add insult to injury, do you remember the end of last week? Those 600 men have got just two swords between them. There's really only so many ways a passage can tell us that this is a hopeless situation. You know, historically, this would be the point when an ancient Near Eastern king would be told to get their affairs in order. The end is coming. And so at the beginning of the chapter today, we find Saul left sitting under a tree, absolutely stumped. Instead of having Saul for, uh, Samuel for company, Saul's just got this guy called Ahijah or Ahijah, however you want to pronounce his name. And there's a reason. Do you notice that the narrator chooses to give us, give us this priest's lineage? Because it turns out that this guy is the descendant of Eli. Eli, whose family was rejected, right back at the beginning of 1 Samuel for their corrupt and wicked behavior. were being told this, this is the best Saul can do now. Not Samuel, but a bargain basement knockoff instead. What a sight it must have been. King Saul, whose kingship has been rejected, sat next to this priest whose priestly line has been rejected. Surely this is game over for Saul. Surely this is game over for Israel. Well, not quite, it seems, because Saul has a son. And in verse one, Saul's son has a plan. And looking at this plan, Well, it seems maybe Jonathan isn't quite a chip off the old block. Speaking to his armor bearer, Jonathan says, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. Considering there's only two of them, this seems a little bit ambitious. And when we read verses 4 and 5, which actually tells us that in order to get there, in order to get to that Philistine outpost, they've got to clamber over two cliffs, which have names like Miry and Thorny. Well, we can't help but think Jonathan's going to end up in real trouble here. It, it's no surprise he doesn't tell his dad or anyone else but his armor bearer what he's going to do. And verse 6 is the crucial verse for our passage. Saul may not have been a leader who trusted God, but his son, Jonathan, is. Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now... Some people may be tempted to brush this off as, you know, typical youthful optimism. But it's important to see here that there are literally no grounds for optimism at all. It would take a superman to come and win this battle. This isn't optimism. This is faith. Perhaps Jonathan he doesn't say, perhaps I will go and win. He says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. You see, Jonathan's faith doesn't rest on the circumstance he faces. The circumstance is hopeless. No, it rests on the nature and the character of God. The circumstance is hopeless, but with God there is hope. Jonathan knows that if God wills it... Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Jonathan knows that God can win this battle if he chooses to. But notice what else Jonathan says. Jonathan says, perhaps. He knows God can do it, and he knows God may choose to do it, and so he chooses in faith to put himself at God's disposal, to say, God, you can do this, I'm going to test the waters. And so there's two things for us to see here. Number one, all things are possible with God. Nothing is too hard for him. That's what Jonathan knows. And that's what Jesus says, isn't it? In Matthew 19 verse 26, when he says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The only things God can't do are things that go against his own nature and his own character. Otherwise, all things are possible with God, even two men against an army. And secondly, God can do anything, but faith in God doesn't presume on God to do them. And jesus knows this as well mark 14 in the garden of gethsemane jesus says abba father all things are possible for you yet not what i will but what you will be done you see true faith in god knows that god has the power to do all things but submits to his will knowing that he is both wise and good. Jonathan knows God can do it, and he trusts in God enough to know that whether God chooses to do it or not, he is still God and he is still good. Jonathan pushes at the door in faith to see if God will allow him to open it. If yes, fantastic. The Lord will use Jonathan and save Israel. If not, well, Jonathan has the faith to know the Lord will do something else instead. And is that how, a question for us, is that how we think of our relationship with God? Is that how you frame your prayers when you ask for things? Do you know that God can do it, but not assume that he necessarily will? Do you trust that God who is all powerful yet knows best. And well, we see in our passage that God does choose to be with Jonathan, and he does use Jonathan in this passage to save his people. And so here we are, two young men, only one with a sword, they're right at the bottom of this steep cliff, and the Celestine outpost is right at the top. And the Philistines, well, they think there's no way that these cocky young lads down there are going to be able to clamber all the way up the side of these cliffs and fight. It's obviously bravado. So they have a good laugh. They say, oh, come up and fight us then. And they do all these laddy things, you know, lad culture. But Jonathan sees something else here. Jonathan sees this as the confirmation he's been looking for. The confirmation that God is with him. To the Philistines, this is just some cocky young lads. There's no way they're going to come up these cliffs. There's no way that these two men can fight them. But with the confirmation Jonathan gets, the two of them clamber up the side of the cliffs, hands and feet, and they catch the Philistines totally by surprise. In fact, the Philistine reaction can be summarized really in two pictures. And then... Verses 15 and 16 tell us that God sends a panic through the whole Philistine army. Look at the language used twice, it says, they panic. It talks about how the ground shakes with all of the running around and confusion that's going on. Just these two young men coming up the side of that cliff has caused panic. Saul's lookouts see that this army is described as melting away. Well. If you're the king, surely now is the time to strike. Now is the time to take advantage. And how does Saul respond? Does he say, muster the forces and let's go? No. Oh, muster the forces. See who's left us. What's causing all that chaos over there? Someone must have gone. And so, and so instead of striking while the iron's hot, no, we're going we're gonna to count through every single one of the people here and, and see who's gone missing because someone's not done what they're told. And then when he realizes that it's his own son, his own son that's gone at the Philistine army and caused chaos, how does he respond? Does he say, well, quick, let's go and help him. Maybe he's still alive. Maybe I can help. No. Well, maybe bring up the ark of God then and and let's see if God says we should have a fight with these Philistines and well, maybe we should see that God sent his son to start the fight and that the battle's being won. More delay. So then, After deciding he's gonna wait for the ark to be brought up and see what the ark says, well, he changes his mind again. No, 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 forget that. Clearly we should go and have a fight. Oh, you can almost picture Saul there, can't you? You can almost picture him there. Oh, oh dear, I don't know, what should we do? Oh, let's ask God. No, no, maybe we're not, maybe not. He's a ditherer. And so by the time they finally get to the battle, well, they see that God's pretty much done the job for them. We should have a little an interesting niche political joke. Let's see who finds this funny and then and then 2019 general election back the, back the battle Soul, no more dither and delay back the battle and eventually finally he does by the time they get to the battle well they see that God's basically done the job for him verse 20 they found the Philistines in total confusion striking each other with their swords the army there is out of control and in verses 22 And 23, well, the whole thing unravels for this giant Philistine army. The Israelites, who they'd persuaded to side with them, now turn on the Philistine occupiers. All those Israelite soldiers who last week ran off and hid in holes against this giant army, they all now come out and join in the fighting too. It's chaos. And so we might say despite Saul's best efforts, they win after all. Verse 23 summarizes what's happened on that day, the Lord saved Israel. What Jonathan knew God could do, God did. Even if King Saul can't get with the program, the Lord will raise up someone who can. In our passage today, Jonathan becomes the leader that Saul wasn't. Jonathan faced almost certain death in his attack, but he had a courage that Saul didn't because he had a faith Saul didn't. Jonathan knew that if God wills it, nothing can hinder him from saving. It's a type of courage and faith we'll see again in a young man, David, who with just a sling and a few smooth stones stands against a giant and of course it's the type of faith the type of courage that Jesus showed again and again on his journey to the cross the type of courage and faith shown in luke 9:51 that says as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven jesus resolutely set out for jerusalem the type of courage and faith he showed in matthew 26 when jesus said to his disciples This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The type of courage and faith he showed in Mark 14, 36, when he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And finally, that type of courage and faith shown in John 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus did all that showed such courage, such faith in his Father and in their plan of salvation, all to save us. He set his face for death on the cross, all to save you and me. We who every day mess up and fail to live the way God calls us to, who every day acts like Saul, failing to trust God, failing to walk in obedience to him. We who every day dither between following Jesus and following the world. Yet thanks to Jesus, when we've put our trust in him, we can echo those words of Jonathan. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. And we can know those words to be true. We can know them to be true because the Lord has saved even us, even me and you. And so as we finish, I just want to say, if you're here today and you aren't a Christian and you think, how could I ever become one? Well, Jonathan's words are for you too. No matter how far away you feel from God right now, no matter how great the odds seem to be that you could become a Christian, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Amen.